Hey everyone, welcome to Church Public. I'm glad you joined us today. Today we are talking about reaching the culture. The church has had a long and storied history about its impact with culture, and that's what we talk about here at Church Public. We talk about church and culture. So today we're going to talk about reaching the culture. We're going to look back, we're going to look forward, and we're going to talk about what we can do now. Thanks for tuning in, and here we go. All right, everybody, welcome to Church Public. I am glad you joined us here today. We are examining the interconnected nature between the church and the public, church and culture, faith and culture, and it is a long and complicated thing for sure. We're going to try to make some sense of it. We're going to try to figure out how you can get involved in your church, how you can get involved in the culture, how you can live out your faith and make this world a better place. So the church has a storied history about how it impacts the culture. We'll go through a little bit of it here, but the reality of it is the present time, the church has lost its positive impact, uh, especially in recent years. In fact, many people would say the church has a bad reputation. In many ways, we are a post-religious, maybe post-Christian America. This is due in large part to post-modernism, and we're going to cover that at a later date in some depth. But it's enough to say right now that the days of Christianity as a dominant influence in this culture are over. The gathering of believers as a church uh, has impacted the world for more than 2,000 years. Morality has been changed and shaped because of the contribution of the followers of Jesus for millennia. Before that even, the people of God, the Jews, had a similar effect on the world around them. They were a beacon of morality in a very dark and often dangerous world. This little group of followers of Jesus grew and grew and grew and grew, and Christianity is around today because of the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, in another episode, we're going to look at the historicity of the resurrection, why it is important, why it matters, why it is true. But back to us now, back to America. America began with you know people from Britain and the surrounding countries coming over to find religious freedom. There were certain religions and practices you could do in Britain and the surrounding countries, and there were certain things you could not do. In those countries, and especially Britain, you did not have the freedom to worship. You had to practice your faith in the way that the king had decreed. So the pilgrims, the Puritans, the Quakers, and others came over to North America. In fact, there was so much religious freedom in places like Pennsylvania, they made sure you would be free to practice your religion. Catholics, Jews, Mennonites, Amish, Moravians, many Eastern Catholics, Lithuanian Catholics, Polish Catholic churches, uh, all of these came and, and almost found their first home in Pennsylvania and other parts of the first colonies. And all that to say that church, the worship of God through the Bible, were a strong foundation in the making of America. We talked about that the last episode, and you can go back and listen to that if you're interested. And the church had a great impact in the culture, in the morals of the society. The Bible was taught in schools. The Ten Commandments shaped our legal system, and for good reason. Beyond spiritual growth, which I believe is very important, the morals that come out of the Bible, out of biblical scripture, are good for society. Things like don't steal, don't kill, don't take things that aren't yours, don't uh, hurt people. Things like personal responsibility. Ideas like grace, forgiveness, kindness. These are all things that come from the Bible. In contrast, we have a modernized and secular and science-based 
world where morality is is harder to come by and it's harder to define. Put simply, if we're here only because of an accident of nature and of evolution, why should I be kind to my neighbor? Why should I forgive someone who hurt me? Isn't this idea of survival of the fittest the highest goal? Isn't selfishness, uh, something like strength, pride, aren't these the attributes to be the most rewarded? And aren't these the most rewarded in culture? You know, I've, I've even studied extensively on worldviews, science and morality, and I've yet to find a good explanation for why we should be kind if there is no God, if there is no foundation, if there is no morality outside of me. I mean, sure, there's some cultural benefit to not running around killing people, but there has to be more of a foundation than that for society to thrive. There has to be more than just me looking out for number one, looking out for myself, doing all the things that benefit me and myself, or even me and my family. Because what about everybody else? Do they deserve something? Do they deserve a chance for freedom? Do they deserve a chance for happiness? These are things, again, that were, we talked about last time were written into the Declaration of Independence, but that document comes from some scriptural ideas that we have value outside of ourselves. And if I have value, you have value. And because everyone has a value in God's eyes, we should elevate that value. Without God, without the scriptures that tell us who we are, and who other people are, what is the point of being kind? What is the point of forgiving? What is the point of grace? It's a hard idea to come across. So uh, America is unlike other nations because it's not built on race. It's not built on nationality. Most other places you go are filled with people from that place. America is not like that. America is built on an idea, this idea that all are created equal. It's this uniquely biblical value from the truth that we are all made in God's image. Because we are in God's image, that means you have value and I have value. And God has made you perfect. So it doesn't matter what race you are, what nationality you are, you are valuable. And that because of that, I should treat you well. As Jesus said, I should treat others like I want to be treated. And we should all do that. And if we all do that kind of action, the society elevates because then we're all looking out for each other's interests and not just the interests of ourselves. It's important to know some of America's history to understand where we are today in the church. Because as a church, especially in the last 50 to 75 years, we have adopted one of two postures in this culture. And the morals of America were based on the Bible. They were based on this idea that it's not just about me, that there is a larger foundation for these beliefs. So what I want to look at is the church, and I want to look at a couple different postures that the church takes with the culture. You've, if you've spent any time in church, you've probably seen one or both of these. You've, you've probably experienced one or both of these. If you're not in the church, um, this may be why you don't like the church, one of these ideas. Um, so let's look at a couple of these. The, the first is just Christianity against culture. Christianity against culture. You know, I've, I've seen this play out many times. Many pastors take this view, and, and many congregants want to take this view. The, the church is on one side, and the culture is on the other side. So we build this um, reservation. We build this place with, you know, big walls that keep out the ideas, and sometimes even people 
that we don't want as part of our culture. Um, this is kind of a problem, though. It doesn't it doesn't work very good because most of the culture is post Christian, anti Christian. We talked about that. And since pastors and congregants know they're going to be rejected by the culture, mocked by the culture, canceled by the culture, they view church as a retreat from the culture. So they build their church as a place outside of the culture and don't want any of the culture to go into that place. The church is an organization and it's a, it's a refuge from this hostile culture. This view of church is a true sanctuary where people take refuge from the world. This may be sounding fantastic to you at this point, and it sounds good. And this is a place of good intentions, like it's a shelter from the storm, but it only creates the illusion of safety. It pretends that culture can be kept out of the church by these invisible walls and providing this safe space for those that want to keep their lives pure. In reality, the our lives, the soul, the culture is troubled and this side of heaven we're never going to be without sin without mistakes and so as we enter into this presumed safe space this refuge we bring ourselves we bring the culture with us and what happens then well we make mistakes because we're all broken and we make mistakes and then the people around us make mistakes and then we have this place where we've tried to create this safety but inside it we're in turmoil And then we're so disconnected from the reality around us, we can't even invest in and and move into the space around us. It sounds like such a great, uh, idyllic, wonderful place, but in reality, it can never be that. We're trying to create this heavenly thing on earth, and that's not our job. Our job is not, as, as followers of Jesus, to create heaven on earth. He's creating the kingdom of God through us, but as we will look at some verses in a minute, that's, this is not the way that he told us to do it. He didn't say, go up on a mountain, build a bunch of walls, go inside them, and keep everybody else out. In fact, you'll find later as we look into it, he said the opposite. He said, go. Go make disciples of all nations. Go reach anyone you can with the good news that there is new life through Jesus and the power of the resurrection. So that's Christianity against culture. A lot of churches tend to be that way, and it, and we're in the place that we're in now because churches have chosen to withdraw from culture and not engage in it, and culture moved faster and further away from the morality that it should have, and we end up in this place where there's rage and anger and fear because there's no foundation in it. Secondly, there's Christianity with culture. Some of you have seen this, some of you experience it, some of you may be in it now. The church becomes a mirror of culture. Everything about culture um, is led into the church, and the church celebrates it, and the church wants to be like the culture because that feels good. Culture is not inherently bad, and the culture must progress and change with technology and invention and science, and these are all good things. However, Culture is not always right, and the church cannot and should not mirror every change the culture makes. The reality is we always worship something. We should worship God, but when we don't worship God, and when you talk about the outside culture, without God, culture raises up other things to worship, other idols, as we'd say in our terminology. The place of God uh, is replaced with celebrities, politicians, wealth, power, justice, social justice, causes. It's replaced with things that are not 
Jesus that are not central to uh, the way of following Christ, of, of our tenets of faith. Some Christian beliefs are, are black and white, and other beliefs are more gray. And the, the problem with culture is that it may identify a certain aspect of life as black or white, but that aspect may be more gray. In other words, God ordered the world in, in the way that humans would make culture, and some aspects are beautiful and true and good, and other aspects of culture are not good. The view of Christianity with culture forgets that all of life is corrupted by sin, by mistakes, by bad habits. We're, we're not inherently good. If given the choice, we will almost always, short of God's grace, choose the selfish and prideful way instead of the altruistic way. If you don't believe me, check out a toddler and see the, some of the very first things they do. Sometimes even before they speak is, you know, reaching for or saying, give me that, that's mine, when it's clearly not. It comes out in us at the very earliest of ages because that is the way our heart is. Our heart wants what's good for us. And when we make the culture the centerpiece of the church, we lean into the things that feel good and sound good and are popular. Sometimes the culture will unearth some wrong that needs to be fixed. And as a church, as a, as a community of believers who wants to bring the love of God into this world, sometimes we need to lean into those moments and we need to acknowledge that there's something in this world that needs to be fixed. But sometimes the way to do it is not the way the culture is prescribing it because the culture doesn't have the same foundation that you have if you're built on the morality of Jesus. Because that foundation for the culture is built on whatever it is they're thinking about at the moment, whatever they see the worst sin according to them at the moment. But, and, and don't get me wrong, there are definitely sins in the culture. Even without God, we create things that are good and evil. We create things that you shouldn't do. We create things that you should do. But if you don't have God as a moral compass guiding you towards what is ultimately good, then you have to make up what's good and evil. And sometimes culture gets that right. Often, though, culture gets that wrong. So that's Christianity with culture. It's another way that you see some churches today going down that road and trying to be as close to culture as they can, and that's not always the best way to go. So the third way that I want to look at that I, I think is maybe the best way to go that is also the hardest way to go as a church is to be in but not like culture. This is the middle way that is here to fulfill the scripture because Jesus tells us what we're supposed to look like as believers, what we're supposed to look like um, really even as a church that so he didn't exactly describe it in this sense. But just listen to this, um, that Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for you as a believer in John 17, starting in about verse 14. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. As you, Father God, sent me into the world, I have sent them into 
the world. So Jesus is praying. He's praying to his father, God, and he's saying, we, you and me, believers, are not of this world, are going to be hated, and can't get along with all of the world, cannot get along with all of the culture. There's no way that we can do that. We have to be different than the culture because the culture is going to do things that are not with the heart of God. And it's interesting, I think, that that first situation that we talked about, you know, the the church building walls and and, and being out of culture, Jesus specifically says, I don't want you, God, to take them, the believers, out of the world. I want you to be, I want you to protect them from evil, from the evil one. So Jesus knows that we're not supposed to be in the culture. We're not supposed to be away from the culture. We're supposed to be in it, but not the same as it. And it's, it's this nuance and it's really hard to do, but we have to try and do this. And Jesus acknowledges, too, this is something to not overlook, that there is an evil one. There is another force that's at work that is trying to destroy and trying to create disunity and discord and anger and strife, and that's not to be avoided. So we look at um, Romans. Paul, uh, in a letter to the Romans, said this. uh, This is one of my favorite verses, Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. And we'll talk uh, at length about worship in in a bit in another episode. Um, But he says this. Listen to this. Verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve God's will, his good and perfect and pleasing will. So, in other words... This world is seductive, and it's easy to be like the world. It's fun to be like the world. Um, we want to be like the world. We want to be like everybody else. Everybody wants to fit in, right? I mean, that was, you know, go back to elementary school, to junior high, like junior high, the worst times, right? When you just want to be like everybody else. You don't want to be a weird junior higher. You, you want to fit in. We all have that desire in us, whether it's elementary school or however old you are today. You still want to fit in. And Jesus is saying uh, through Paul and through his words here, listen, don't conform to the pattern of the world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, as you pour into God's word, as you learn what God has for you, you're going to be changed in a way that is different from the world, that is different from the culture. And then with your mind, with your reason, you're going to be able to know God's will. You're going to be know what's right, what's wrong, and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. I'll give you another one. Um, just as we're looking into the church and what the church is supposed to be, this is a great example. Um, in Matthew 5, Jesus talks about what we're supposed to look like, how we're supposed to act in this world, how we can be the church in but not like the world he says you are the salt of the earth but if salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled Um, i don't know about you but i love putting salt on my food if my food does not have enough salt it's bland and i'm gonna be honest i don't love it um so i add more salt because i like the taste of salt if it doesn't have enough salt like you know that you know that right away and jesus is saying you're like that If there's not enough of you, if there's not enough of Jesus in the world, 
the world is not right. You can just tell immediately. Jesus goes on to say, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp, put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light shine before others that they can see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. We're supposed to be the salt that makes the world better. We're supposed to be the light that you can see from miles and miles around because not like if, if you're like the culture, then you're like the culture, right? In other words, like if all of the things look the same and you're one of the things that look the same, you don't look any different. Instead, like if you're in a dark room, just a tiny little light can light up the whole room and you're different. You're different than the culture. You're in a different place because you are part of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And I want you to be like that. God wants you to be like that. Um, so for all of this, it, it points us back to what the way of Christ is supposed to be like. We're in the world. We're not like the world. We can't be a hideout of believers not engaging with the culture. We also can't embrace all the aspects of the culture. We have to be in the world, but not like the world. We have to be in the culture, but not like the culture. And this culture tells us again and again and again that in order to be happy and to be the best person we can, we have to listen to our heart and do what our heart says. But the obvious and inherent problem with this is that everybody wants something different in their heart, right? Ask anybody, what does your heart want today? Everyone everyone is going to give you a different answer. And actually, when you get down to it, everybody wants what's best for themselves in their heart. And that sounds fine. But when you get two or three or five or a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion people together, what's in my heart and your heart and everybody else's heart comes into conflict really quickly. I can remember when I, you know, got out of line and tried to run across the street and my dad yelled at me and you have probably had a similar experience, right? You're just running along and just minding your own business and trying to run across the street. And then your dad's like, don't run across the street. And they yell at you. And how do you feel? You know, you're like, I didn't like that. You might've been scared. Uh, you might've been mad that they were, they were yelling at you and stopping you from doing what you wanted to do. But they probably saved your life from getting run over by a car. Sometimes values and morals feel like this and they're difficult to live up to and they can be restrictive. But without these morals and values, a society is lawless, chaotic, and dangerous. And we're beginning to see some of that now. You see all of the destruction and terrorizing going around this country. And that's a direct result of not having a faithful moral foundation that tells you what's right and what's wrong and gets you outside of yourself and what you want into what is best for everyone. God's values, laws, and guidance can feel restrictive, but they're meant to stop the desires of our hearts from hurting ourselves or others. That's why Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me to save you from yourself and to find a better way. That's even why the first Christians were called the followers of the way. The way of Christ is not easy, but it's good and it's different from culture. It's different from society. It can and should look different than the society and the culture around you. So take a quick look. If you look like everyone else around you, if you act like everyone else around you, if you talk like everyone else around you, then you've adopted more of the culture than Jesus wants you to. You should 
be a little salty. You should be brighter. You should be lighter with your hope and your joy. And you are God's church. You are the light of the world. This is not me saying this. This is Jesus saying this. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And you can affect change around you in the relationships that are around you just by being God's truth to those around. God wants to use you to build his kingdom. And I hope and pray for you that as we learn what the church is supposed to be like, as we learn to be in the world, but not with the world, that we can change this world for the better, that we can become the prophetic voice that God wants to use to make this world a better place. You, as a believer, are God's plan to change this world and make it a better place. Many people often say, if God loves this world so much, why doesn't he do something about it? And the reality is, he has. He made you, and he saved you so that you can bring the light of God, the love of God, to those around you. So as a church, if we step into this way of Christ, we will change the world because we will be in the world and not like the world. This is the better way. Thanks for joining us today at Church Public. Please subscribe and rate. It really does help. If you like what you hear and you want to support, go to churchpublic.com for some of the options there. God bless, and we'll be talking soon.